This is the Gospel for Life, where we have four Treasure Valley pastors committed to showing that the gospel is not just for that religious part of your life, but for all of life. You never graduate from the gospel. Around the table today is Russell Herman, pastor at Cloverdale United Reformed Church, Jonathan Van Hoogen from Dayspring United Reformed Church, Vinnie Hanke from Valley Life Community Church, and Ryan Hemphill from Treasure Valley Reformed Presbyterian Church. To catch earlier broadcasts, just search The Gospel for Life wherever you subscribe. To find out more about this ministry and about our annual conference, go to ReformationBoise.com. Welcome back to The Gospel for Life. It's good to begin another week with you and to speak of the resurrection just a couple more days i know i know you're thinking these guys don't have a clue what day it is what mm. the time of year it is where we're at trust us we do but we just want to just settle on the the resurrection for a little while um, and some of you might have been sick and didn't get to easter sunday yes yes <laughs> yes yes but as we have stated before we are those that have are in union with jesus christ Mm-hmm. And that's not a throwaway statement. That means something. And what that means is that in him, we died with him. In him, we are raised with him. In him, we've ascended with him. In him, we are glorified with him. And that's how we're supposed to live out the Christian life, as those that are truly united to Jesus Christ. And so the resurrection should mean something, not just for some day. It, it's not just a truth that we experience after we die, mm. it's supposed to be a reality that also shapes how we live right now. Mm-hmm. And so we want to, to just impress upon you the reality of the resurrection, and hopefully that shapes then how we approach each of the moments of our day. And in Luke 24, which we're at today, we just yesterday, or last week Friday, dealt with the, the disciples on the road to Emmaus, and this is kind of the follow-up to that. So... Ryan's going to read that. So this is Luke 24, verses 36 through 49. 49, okay. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet, and while they they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. So to understand this passage, we do have to just backtrack just a little bit because the beginning says, as they were talking about these things. Mm -hmm. And so you have to really ask yourself, well, what are these things? 
and that these things are what has just happened prior to this in Luke 24. Mm-hmm. And so if you think about the, the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, they started in Jerusalem. They're traveling for seven miles from Jerusalem to Emmaus. And on that road, they're talking about everything that had happened in Jerusalem, all of the chaos. I mean, think about this. And this event that has transpired in Jerusalem is a big deal. And they're trying to process it. They're discussing it. They're bantering back and forth. The, The exchange of words is pretty rapid. Jesus comes, listens to them talk about these events, and then provides the corrective. You don't understand. Let's go back to Scripture. He walks them through all of the Scriptures about him. I mean, as far as sermons that I would love to hear, I would have loved to have heard <laughs> that been on that road. And he breaks bread with them. Once they realize it's the Christ, it's at the end of the day. They've already just traveled for seven miles. Mm-hmm. Because of the excitement of the reality of the risen Christ, they retravel that seven miles right then at night, which mm-hmm. would have been completely unsafe. Yeah, mm-hmm. the Emmaus half marathon. Yes. <laughs> and it shows you what a, the love of Christ does, mm-hmm. what it means to say, I believe in a risen Christ and my heart overflows in joy and love for a risen Savior and I've got to tell somebody. Mm-hmm. And hopefully you've experienced that. And they come back and find the disciples And it says, and they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they tell what their experience was. So here you have all these people in the upper room talking to, or in in this gathering, talking to each other about a risen Christ. Mm -hmm. And after these things, Christ appears. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Those disciples in the other upper room would have known that he had appeared to the women, and then Peter and so they're talking about those things. So they, they're already believing on the authority of someone else that that's true. They're already proclaiming it, that, that, that this has happened. And it's interesting. You've got the testimony of Peter. You've got the testimony of women. You've got the testimony of these two disciples on the road to Emmaus. And Jesus says to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? Mm-hmm. So what, what are we to make of that? Why is this so hard for the disciples to fully believe without all of the doubts? Well, it had never happened before. I mean, in all of you know human history, someone coming back from the dead like this. I mean, we have the story of Lazarus and you know Jesus raising people from the dead, but their beloved teacher and master that they knew was dead and in the tomb, alive. You know, it's it it, it would be hard. I think we we, we sometimes judge the disciples harshly but i really think if we are honest with ourselves and put ourselves in their shoes it would be hard to accept and believe without god's direct intervention the graciousness of jesus is on display right i mean the first words he speaks to them in their midst is peace to you Mm -hmm. you think about these guys who, who all broke their promises every one of them had confessed jesus at least in their understanding of the messiah at the time every one of them professed their readiness to die for the faith and yet when the rubber met the road they abandoned and broke every promise to christ and yet the first thing he issues to them is peace mm-hmm. yeah. grace 
And you would think that the first thing he would say to him is, shame on you. Right. Or (laughs) to quote R.C. Sproul, what's wrong with you people? People. Yes. (laughs) I mean, how much do you need? Yeah. How much did you ignore of what I taught you prior to me going to Jerusalem? I mean, I told you this is what was going. I mean, there could have been lots of things that he said, but peace to you. The the first words out of Jesus' mouth are are really interesting because when he met the two women, you know, the translation in our Bible says greetings. That's kind of tame, but it, it was really rejoice. Mm-hmm. It's, it, it's, uh, it's, it's rejoice, joy to you, and here, peace to you. You know, so, so this peace, this shalom, this is not just, these are not formal addresses that he's making. These, you know, shalom, the peace, it's, it's, the, it's the peace in which nothing essential will ever be lacking in their life. Everything essential to that wholeness is being offered in that voice of Jesus. Jesus had said to his disciples in the upper room discourse, um, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. And and here you can see Jesus saying, I I want you to believe. Mm -hmm. What do you need? Your hearts are troubled. You're you're wrestling with doubts. What can I give to you Mm -hmm. that will help steady you? Do you need to see my hands? Do you need to touch me? Do you, I'll eat something for you if that helps. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Let me take you back to script. I mean, he is, he, it's almost like Jesus is bending over backwards to say, I love my people. Yeah. And I want you established in the faith. And I know you're struggling, but I'm going to help. How can I help you? And everything necessary to demonstrate that this is the same Jesus, the the same Jesus that had walked and talked and been with them, this same Jesus, you know, as you point out. Seeing him, touching him, handling those those wounds, uh, eating in front of them, demonstrate his humanity, demonstrate that this is the same personal Jesus that they knew. It's interesting that, and I know we've been here, and I just want to emphasize it again because I think it is so important. Jesus takes them back to the Old Testament, and he takes them back to the three main divisions of the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. He's taking them back to the law and the prophets and and to the Psalms. Mm-hmm. And he's saying, all of Scripture is about me. And sometimes we are really so slow that we go back into the Old Testament and we make it about the circumstances or the storyline or the narrative or the history or the. Mm-hmm. I mean, my favorite is that we get to the Song of Solomon and we make it a, a marriage manual. <laughs> no, Jesus already tells you, no, the Song of Solomon is about me. Yeah. And if you interpret the Song of Solomon outside of Jesus Christ, then you've interpreted it wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's circumstan- there, the circumstances are definitely there, but yeah. the but the but the storyline is is going to point to him. Yes. Everything, you know, um, you know, uh, it might Sally, have application Sally, Sally to other Jones things. has written that children's story. Yeah. Every uh, you know, every story whispers his name. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Jesus storybook, every story whispers his name. The the Old Testament is the you know the foundation of of, of the new. And but we can't truly understand the Old Testament without the lens of Christ and what He has done. I just think of of Jesus on the cross, and we often think of that the Gospels tell us the most about Jesus on the cross. And I actually don't think that's correct. Mm-hmm. I think Psalm twenty two, mm-hmm. I think Isaiah fifty three, mm-hmm. actually tell you more about the crucifixion than the Gospels actually tell you about the crucifixion, mm-hmm. because they tell you what's behind it, mm-hmm. what's underneath of it. They tell you the depth. 
they tell you the riches. And so when you, you get to the Gospels, the idea is that they're saying, you want to understand what's behind the cry of Christ? Mm-hmm. Go back to Psalm 22. Mm-hmm. You want to understand about the blood that is being shed? Go back to Isaiah 53. Mm-hmm. And and so sometimes we dis, we disconnect the Old Testament and the New Testament, but I'm in my mind there we we give away some of the richness mm-hmm. that it that it contains. I mean, I just even and maybe you guys are going to be like, no, Russ, no, 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 no. <laughs> but I, I look at John 20, and there's this is this moment in the account where it talks about that there's an angel at the head and an angel at the foot. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, that's a weird description. Why are you telling us exactly where the angels were? But I think, I think John has actually given us a picture of the mercy seat, mm-hmm. the cherubim that are on each side of the mercy seat. And I think what John is subtly saying is the blood has been shed. The blood covers the mercy seat. The work is done, and the angels are still at the, at the edge of the mercy seat in wonder at the work of God on behalf of his people, just like they were throughout the entire Old Testament. Hmm. And I, I don't think it's a throwaway detail. I, I think it's well, reaching then, back. Yeah. But, I mean, I might be wrong on that. Clearly no, could there, be wrong. Yeah, there are no throwaway details here. You know, there's right. no, no, you can't, you can summarize the word of God, but you can't get rid of any of it. Yeah, <laughs> right. Okay, and so I, all of this to say, please don't don't give away your Old Testament. Right. Mm-hmm. Please go back and and as you're reading it, what what I don't even I've I been trying to think of the Spurgeon quote about getting to Christ in a text, but I can't remember. Do you guys I, know yeah, this one? I would just butcher it and paraphrase. Yeah, it, there, but, all roads lead to London. And, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there, there's a. I mean, in, in, in Jesus Himself is working through. I mean. The second person of the Trinity, you know, before the incarnation, is at work throughout the pages of the Old Testament, and we see that in that uh, you know the angel of the Lord character who receives worship, who intercedes for his people, who defends his people, who comes to the aid of his people, and uh, that is the second person of the Trinity. This is the work of Christ, and the whole Scripture speaks to him in the work. The Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. The New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. Here's the Spurgeon quote. Uh, There's a road from here to Jesus Christ, and I mean to keep on his track until I get to him. Yes. And on that, we'll let Spurgeon have the last word. We'll see you tomorrow.